In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a little bit of a lie that we tell ourselves when we talk about Jesus. And what is most problematic is that parts of this lie cut two different ways. The first lie is the image of Jesus, being someone who is so meek and so, so mild. It is the Jesus that many of us see in portraits that adorn many churches and some houses. Jesus appears to be this serene individual who has almost no cares in the world. He is almost stoic, gazing just beyond our field of vision, almost like he sat down personally for a session with the painter. Jesus is so meek that he wouldn't harm a fly. He is so mild that we sometimes think that our problems and our troubles are so far beyond him. I mean, what does he know about friends who might betray him? Part of the problem with this lies we reduce Jesus to our best friend and made even our most popular music that we sometimes hear on the radio or sing in some church churches, we make Jesus into our best buddy. And we forget that while he is our friend and our helper and our redeemer, he is also God. Now, the lie works the other way, too. We see Jesus as an angry man. He is constantly getting into fights with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of the rulers of his age. Jesus erupts in a rage, like in today's gospel reading, and becomes something like a child throwing a temper tantrum. Jesus is ready to smite you, to hurl a thunderbolt from heaven at you. Thanks to some of the literature from the medieval and renaissance periods, we sometimes see a Jesus who is enjoying casting sinners into some form of hell or the lake of fire. So, where does that leave us? Well, first, we have to take the caricature nature out of either angry, wrathful Jesus out of our focus, but we also must dispel the myths of Jesus meek and Jesus mild. And second, we need to come to a better understanding of what the cleansing of the temple really means, both to Jesus and the Jews of his day, as well as to us here now. In order to do that, we need to talk a little bit about the temple and the ongoings around the temple precincts. The temple was the center of the Jewish religious life. Almost everything revolved around the temple. It was in the temple that the name of God resided, where you could call upon God for many things. But chiefly, you were calling upon God through many different sacrifices. These sacrifices were prescribed in the Torah, the book of the laws. Some of these sacrifices were required for things like purification, like when Joseph and Mary went to the temple after Jesus had been born in the Gospel of Luke. Others were sacrifices or offerings of thanksgiving. Some still 
were for sins, both individual sins, familial sins, and of course the sacrifices were the sins of the entire nation and people. Now, we must also remember something else that is critical to our understanding, and it is something that colors almost every gospel and epistle that we have. Jesus lived in first century Palestine. And first century Palestine was under the subjugation of the Roman Empire. Rome ruled through puppet kings, governors, and provincial rulers. Rome kept trade going, kept the roads and seas free of marauders, thieves, and pirates. But it also dominated all commerce by the use of currency, the Roman coin. The temple itself had its own currency as well, and it was called temple coin. And this is where some of the problems begin to unfold. You see, often, if you were going to offer a sacrifice, you had to purchase the animal that would be slaughtered. Not everyone had lambs or turtle doves or the required sacrificial animal. So when you got to the temple and its outer courts, you first had to change your Roman coin into temple coin from the money changers. And then go purchase your animal from someone else and then go into the temple with a priest and begin all the rituals and rights required. Imagine that same, same sort of thing happening here today. You park your car outside in our parking lot, and instead of coming straight here into the nave, you're beset with tables and money changers. And then there's sheep, and there's cows, and there's birds, and a, a, a veritable marketplace from our parking lot into our courtyard, around our cloister, and finally you make your way into our narthex only then to be hassled into the church and told to wait your turn and etc. and etc. And all the while you are trying to pray, you have the lowing of cows and calves, the bleating of sheep, the raised voices outside, all bleeding into this, our church. It was a major problem. But part of this perceived problem was also the corruption. Money changers, knowing that the people had to have the proper coin, charged confiscatory rates. People who knew that they needed a lamb raised the prices beyond market value. And all the while, you were trapped into knowing what you should do and what the temple and its trappings were requiring you to do. That sort of sounds like today in many ways, doesn't it? Well, into this confusion, into this cacophony and noise, into this moral injustice, Jesus walks in. Stop making my father's house, a marketplace. 
It is not that Jesus simply wanted a quiet place to pray. It is not even that Jesus is trying to put an end to the sacrificial systems of the temple. Jesus is addressing the crime that is happening within and around the temple. Jesus is condemning the systems of exploitation that are being done in the name of the temple, in the name of the priests, and in the name of God. And that is part of what we are to learn from this. It is not that the temple was corrupt, but it had become corrupt. It is not that the systems of law was inherently bad, but it had become that way. It is not that the temple needed to be destroyed as much as it needed reformed and renewed and transformed into what God had always intended it to be. So, what about the church? What is Jesus telling us about the church? It would be very naive of us to imagine that the church is not without its own share of problems, its own share of corruption, its own share of needing reform and renewing and also transformation from time to time. In the last several decades, there have been scandals and deaths, embezzlements, abuse, and even acts more heinous than these. And it is not one particular denomination or one particular faith tradition. It is across the entire breadth of the church. Almost a month doesn't go by when we don't hear of something else breaking, some other crisis that the church finds itself in. Take these things out of here. We are called to restore the purpose, the reason, the dignity, if you will, of the church. The church is the body of Christ here on earth. But what does that mean? One definition, a good modern definition, comes from Archbishop William Temple. He is reputed as saying that the church exists primarily for the sake of those who are still outside it. The church is at her best when she is working to bring the love of Christ to the world, to those outside of her, to everyone who is not in here right now. The church, when she is pure and spotless, points the way to Jesus, points the way to a God of love. When she isn't, when the church is embroiled in scandals and when we're having petty arguments and when we worry more about what we can get out of church rather than what we can give, then people out 
there look at the church and they don't see the body of Christ, but rather just another institution. And that is where the church sometimes gets confused with something else. The church is not a social club, nor is it just some agency, and it's not a union either. The church is bigger than that. The church is much more than that. You see, the church is the primary movement of God right now on this planet. At her best, the church does everything that many of these other agencies do. The church for centuries was the primary source of education because Jesus taught. Monks and nuns and even a fair number of priests in remote areas knew medicine and ran hospitals and clinics because Jesus healed the sick. Many parishes, like our own, run a food pantry because Jesus fed the multitudes. And we do much, much more as the church because not only are we concerned about people's physical needs and about their physical well-being, but the church is also concerned about things spiritual and about the well-being of souls the well-being of that which makes us fully human. One thing that Lent calls the church to do is to remember the work that we are to be about. The Gospel of John also records Jesus as saying this, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. Holy people of God, we must remember that because our blessed Lord has ascended into heaven, he is no longer bound just to Palestine or to one century or to a sliver of time and space. No, our blessed Lord is alive, working through his church, performing miracles and healing and feeding more people than the early Christians would have ever imagined. Some words of Father Alexander Schmemann. The church, if it is to be the church, 
must be the revelation of that divine love which God poured out into our hearts. Without this love, nothing is valid in the church because nothing is possible. A call out for the church. Gracious Father, we pray for thy holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth, in all truth with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purified. Where it is in error, directed. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunited. For the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior. A prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian. O Lord and Master of my life, keep from me the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. Instead, grant to me, your servant, the spirit of wholeness of being, humble-mindedness, Patience and love. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to be aware of my sins and not to judge my brothers. For you are blessed now and ever and forever. Amen. Amen.